$40 million. Charlie Sheen, whatever he is these days, $37 million. Lady Gaga, who I'm told has replaced Oprah as one of the biggest cultural icons in America today, $110 million. And Pablo Escobar, who's not with us anymore, the Colombian drug lord, was worth $9 billion at the time of his death. None of the people that I just mentioned have a reputation as being paragons of virtue. I have no clue as to whether or not any of them are believers, but at least from their public personas and actions, none of the above act in a particularly righteous way. So we could ask the question, particularly those who are still alive, minus Pablo Escobar, why are they prospering? Why does life seem to be going so well for them? It's an occupational hazard on the part of those who are seeking to follow God in obedience to look at the prosperity of the faithless and be perplexed. Some are even tormented by it. It's not as though those who are living righteously are going hungry or starving or homeless, but they see those people that I refer to and many, many, many others apparently doing better than they are. Much better, in fact. And they wonder, what is going on here? There are times when wicked individuals take advantage of the righteous and appear to get away with it. No consequences whatsoever. And we might ask ourselves, how could God possibly allow that? I thought the righteous prospered and the wicked suffered. What's going on? Surely King David wondered as much when he observed the prosperity of Nabal. 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and a beautiful and intelligent wife to boot. In the economy of his day, Nabal was a multimillionaire. As it turned out, we know from our study last week, Nabal didn't get to enjoy that prosperity for very long. He died suddenly of a heart attack, or he had a heart attack, died suddenly 10 days later, and that beautiful, intelligent wife that he had married King David, or actually the man who would become King David later. Years after the events of 1 Samuel chapter 25, David wrote a song that looks very much like he had the idea or the concept that we studied in our lesson last week in mind when he wrote Psalm 37. As the years passed, there were probably other episodes in David's life where the apparent prosperity of the wicked motivated his writing of Psalm chapter 37. There are two Psalms, Psalm 73 and Psalm 37. They're easy to remember because they got the same number, just flip them back. Both Psalm 37 and Psalm 73 seem to declare that righteously and that according to God, why did the wicked prosper? David writes Psalm 37, probably looking back upon his episode Nabal was a pretty bad fellow, to say the least. We saw his, his mood and how he dealt with things, his mood and how he didn't repay a debt. But yet he seemed to prosper. If you have 3,000 sheep, that's a lot of sheep, that's a lot of cattle. 1,000 goats, that's a lot of goat stuff. Now, what do you make of that? Let me just read. 
Psalms. Religion in the Psalms, religion are those, are representatives of those who rebel against God. And the righteous are those who choose to walk in fellowship with God. In the Psalm world, religion are generally considered to be what we would call unbelievers. And the righteous are those who are believers. Those who have a covenant relationship with God. We must be careful not to be confused about the the importance, New Testament aspect in the Psalms. So we're not talking about here today people who are believers who are either acting righteously or living in a Christology. In the Psalms, we see people who are following through on who they are, either in Christ or outside of Christ. See what I mean? In this case, those who are positionally righteous are acting positionally righteous. Those who are positionally unrighteous are acting positionally unrighteous. Are you following me? If you're not following, I just follow this. If you look at it in the other versions, the righteousness is in italics. Verse 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. The Hebrew term here is kadeh, a word that means to be blessed, or to be happy, or what? To be content. Not peace, to be content. All those phrases would work in Psalm 1-1, but perhaps... In this context, we should use the idea of contentment. And that's going to be a key to understanding Psalm 37 also when we get there. How contented is the man who, and then there's going to be some qualifications for the person who's going to have contentment. If I can't help myself, I'm going to do it right now just in case we can't make it next week. That's the key. That's the key. How are we viewing prosperity? Is $40 million, does $40 million automatically guarantee that you're going to be content? No, it doesn't. I've never had $40 million, but I'm going to step out on a limb and tell you, it doesn't guarantee contentment because I know people that do have that much money. And I know their life's not any different from yours or mine. I know people that have more money than that. And they still suffer the same types of things that you and I do. Money doesn't guarantee one's contentment. So that's going to be the big error that we make sometimes is we look at prosperity and see something different than pure contentment. Really, you know what real prosperity is? Real prosperity is contentment. That's what we really want, is we could be assured that we'd be totally content in life and penniless, or totally miserable in life and more trillions. I think any sane person would say, make me penniless and give me the contentment. That's going to be the key to understanding Psalm 37 as well. But we see it here in Psalm chapter 1. Esther, to be content. How content is the man who does not, and then we have this series of things, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Three things, walk, stand, or sit. There is something of a progression here. Richard Mayer seldom Yeah. 